Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA, roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 25th pick in the NFL draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select. You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duff. We've got a fun show today because... There's breaking news uh, every single week here uh, surrounding the NFL draft. So we're going to cover a little bit of that. But we're also going to start looking at this class position by position. We're going to do all that in Draft Buzz with Chris McPherson, Ben Fennell. After that, we're going to go pick six. Six guys that maybe uh, are a little bit more athletic than they put on at the NFL Scouting Combine. So we'll get into some guys that surprised us maybe in a bad way out in Indianapolis. And then uh, let's wrap this up with Draft Mailbag. Some questions from you at home. Believe it or not, our survey is still open. So if you've got a free moment or two, if you're at home and you're a longtime listener of the show, go on to philadelphiaeagles.com slash journey survey. Again, content focus. It's all about trying to make this show better. So you can tell us what you like, what you don't like, ways to make the show better, whether it's in the fall, in the summer, in the spring, whenever you listen, you can help us make the show better. Just go on to philadelphiaeagles.com slash journey survey. You can go on to our Twitter pages as well and find the survey as well. But let's get the show started. It's time for Draft Buzz. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, guys, let's get going here. And as I welcome in Chris McPherson, Ben Fennell. First of all, how are you guys doing? I'll see, Mac, I'll start with you. How, uh, how's everything going there in the McPherson household? Everything's good. The boys are uh, pretty self-sufficient at this point, 12 and 10, so uh, they can handle themselves during the day. But, uh, you know, shout out to everyone out there just trying to keep sane during this time and uh, behind the, we usually say behind the glass in the studio to uh, PK sound, but uh, doing a great job keeping all these podcasts rolling because we keep throwing stuff at him every single day. Yeah, he's uh, it's uh, spinning plates right, for uh, Peter Kelly at this point. And then uh, Ben, how's Casa de Fennel? Listen, Fran, when the sun is shining, we can all survive here. We can get outside. We can do some yard work. We can be productive. I'm looking at a pretty gray day today. It's going to be raining and cold. I'm in straight survival mode. I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> I got the Tiger King. I got seven episodes to fire through the Tiger King. That's a big craze right now. But when the sun's not out, it gets to be a little bit of a drag here uh, sitting at home and inside. Yeah, I'm uh, absolutely behind on all of my Netflix content. But I did <laughs> just about finish the, the Witcher, so uh, which is quality content right there. But all right, guys, let's, uh, let's get into the first segment here. Through the grapevine, and it's really a, one big note to just kind of start things off. Uh, this is from Adam Kaplan on the Inside the Birds podcast. Uh, he talked about TCU wide receiver Jalen Rieger. And this is actually pretty topical because – this is kind of something we're going to hit on a little bit later in the show. As I mentioned earlier, Jalen Rager didn't test great at the combine. He ran fairly well. The, the jumps were very good. The shuttles uh, were not what we expected. But apparently Jalen Rager lost 10 pounds. Because remember, he came in a little bit heavier than we expected out in Indianapolis. Lost some weight. Is down to 4-3 seconds in the 40. So expected to go late round one. And that's from Adam Kaplan. Again, NFL insider from the Inside the Birds podcast. CMAC, initial responses there to uh, the news about Jalen Rager from TCU. The thing for him at the combine was he was on the Bruce Feldman freaks list. And so everyone was anticipating this four, three ish time. And he broke four five. He was high four, four, think four, four, seven was his time. But because of the expectations, it came across as a bit of a disappointment. So the rest of the workout was fine. You mentioned the, the uh, explosive jumps were good. But kind of, I think everyone took a step back and kind of maybe hurt his stock just a little bit, especially with guys like Denzel Mims having phenomenal workouts 
at the combine, but very interesting that he was emphatic that he is going to be a first round selection. That to me is the biggest takeaway that you need to put him in that mix there with the the other receivers, obviously the, the big three to begin with, but who after those guys are going to go around one, it seems like Rager is very much in that conversation. Yeah. And I think too, the big thing with Rager, the, the athletic testing, again, the shuttles were not good, but the positional workout I thought was really, really good. I mean, we talked about that that night out in Indianapolis. I thought Rager had one of the best positional workouts of all the receivers. Ben, I know you're a big fan of what Rager uh, has done really since he stepped on campus out there at TCU. Well, the weight gain is important to note because I think he played at about 185, 190 pounds throughout his career at TCU, then showed up to the combine at 206 and looked a little bit more like Debo Samuel, a little bit more of a bubble in his butt, a thicker lower half. And that comes at the expense of a tick or two in the 40. And I think I would rather him around 200, 205 for a little bit more of that gadget stuff between the tackles, middle of the field, a little bit more handle the toughness and the wear and tear there. So I was kind of uh, impressed that he put on that weight and still ran in the four fours. I don't need him to run four two nine to know he's a good athlete. Right. I, I agree with you. And he, that's the other thing, too. It's not like the weight that he put on was bad weight. I mean, he he looked good, like, in person. Seeing him at the, at the you know, at his press conference, I stood about five feet away from the guy, and he looked really good. So I don't think it was, like, a thing of, oh, man, he got lazy and put on weight. No, like, he put on 10 pounds mm-hmm. of muscle. He's just dropping that weight to drop uh, a couple ticks in the, in the stopwatch, as you mentioned, man. And, Fran, what's so interesting about him at 5'10", 190 pounds, he lined up outside the numbers. 85% of the time at TCU. Yep. I just think that's so mind-boggling for a guy of his skill set. Offense doesn't have to be that hard. He's going to be used completely different in the NFL. They're going to give him the ball in a much easier fashion, quick game, screens, put him in the backfield. I'm just shocked the guy of his ability with some quarterback issues that you wouldn't line him up in the backfield or in the slot a little bit more. That's a really good point. I think that when you look at him, and really a lot of these receivers, it's not about what they did in college. It's about how are they going to project to the NFL. And I think Rager's projection will certainly look a little bit different than what we saw from him and how he was used out in TCU. Let's get to the next point here. Dane Brugger from The Athletic uh, reporting that the Raiders love Jalen Hurts. And I, I think when you look at Jalen Hurts, it's really intriguing because – Ben, I know, you know, I can remember two falls ago, 2018, when he was still at Alabama, uh, you know, us just talking about, you know, just what he had done, stepping aside, letting Tua Tungavailoa take over the reins, of that Alabama offense, and then coming in when it mattered most in the, in the SEC title game. And I think when you look at Jalen Hurts, both from an on-field and off-field standpoint, I mean, there's, there's a lot there to like. It's certainly areas to improve, but look, he, he looked the best he'd ever looked to me in person at the uh, at the combine out in Indianapolis. I, I, to me, I think the arrow is pointing up on Jalen Hurts and his draft stock overall. Yeah, my question is, Fran, is just how are you going to use him in the NFL? Is it more of a Taysom Hill style, or do you really think he can lead an offense and run your system? And that's really the question. And I knew Jalen Hurts was going to be on a short leash. You look at that 2017 recruiting class, you get three of the top five receivers. There's no way you can sit in their living rooms of Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, and Henry Ruggs and say, we're going to be a run-based offense. That was the short leash for Jalen Hurts, getting the three of the top five receivers in 2017, having this strong-arm lefty and Tua Tungavailoa behind him. So I think it was just a bit of a changing of the times there at Alabama, and it really wasn't the skill set that Jalen Hurts, like, that's what he does best. Right. He's really pushed the ball down the field like they wanted to do at Alabama with those receivers in Tua. So I'm really interested on in how he's going to be used. And I think there's a lot of working examples for 
different styles and systems that he could operate. The big thing for me with Hertz, first of all, that this would be a third round pick. It's not like we're talking about Hertz as a first round selection. Fran, you brought up a great point that his trajectory from even from the senior bowl to the combine, he's looked much more comfortable as a passer. Obviously, it's routes and air and things of that nature, but still you can see mechanically he's improving. He's won at two major programs. I mean, that's such a difficult thing to do is to make that transition, go to a place where it's basically all or nothing, and he's able to bring them to the college football playoffs in such a short amount of time. I thought that was absolutely phenomenal to be able to do that. He has that charisma. He has that it factor. If he goes to Vegas, he'd be going there, depending on what they do with Derek Carr. It's right now Derek Carr. They just signed Marcus Mariota. He'd be your third developmental quarterback. So to Ben's point, are they envisioning him as that Taysom Hill type? Or will he just have time behind the scenes to grow and develop and be able to get that tutelage from John Gruden? And you talk about, you know, can a guy handle being coached by John Gruden? I think if you can handle being coached by Nick Saban, if, as, you know, with that personality, I think you can handle just about anything thrown your way. Last point that I want to hit on in Through the Grapevine, we're always going to try and find a column or two to kind of just take a look at. And here, uh, Kyle Krafts from the Draft Network wrote a piece over the last couple of days covering his favorite day three sleepers. And I wanted to just cover a couple of them here. I don't want to do all of them because I want people to go and obviously read the piece. And we talked about some of our sleepers in pick six last week, but uh, I wanted to bring up some of these names. First off, uh, Oregon left guard Shane Lemieux. I feel like we don't talk enough about Shane Lemieux. And this guard class, you know, maybe not guys that we're talking about in round one, round two, but I think when you get to round three, round four, round five, there's a lot of really interesting interior offensive linemen. And to me, Shane Lemieux is one of those guys. I mean, four-year starter. He's got a lot of the traits that I like from an interior offensive lineman, certainly the toughness, but also the athleticism. He's a technician. There's a lot of really good things for me uh, watching him on film. Fran, let's just call these day three players because Shane Lemieux is no sleeper to anybody. <laughs> this guy has played 3,200 snaps for Oregon, the University of Oregon, 3,200 snaps. He's a four-year starter. He's been on the field a ton. He is not a sleeper. He's just a day three talent, and that's okay. And just like the other guys on this list, like Josiah DeGuara, exciting young player, but he's no sleeper. He stole the show at the Combine as far as bench pressing 25 pounds, running 4-7, good jumps, one of the better collective workouts in Indy, in my opinion. Well, I think, too, when you talk about sleeper, it's like, all right, who's a guy that can come in and maybe be an inst instant impact player or somebody that can uh, be a starter? You're not necessarily always looking at those guys on day three to come in and be that kind of player. Otherwise, we'd be talking about them on day two or obviously in the first round. But I feel like when you look at as a sleeper, you say, all right, this is a guy that maybe people on the outside aren't expecting big things from. But you know, you can get a starting guard in Shane Lemieux or uh, a guy that can come in and be a, a solid contributing tight end in Josiah DeGuara on the third day of the draft. Let's call it the underappreciated team. There right? How about like that? It. I like <laughs> it. The last guy was a, a player from Notre Dame from the Fighting Irish, Khalid Kareem, uh, senior defensive end, big-bodied kid, wins with power and leverage. Uh, overall thoughts, guys, on uh, Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame. Consistent producer, just nothing flashy about him. You're looking at his numbers the last three seasons in terms of sacks, three sacks, four and a half, and then five and a half this past season. But he was pro football focuses, top defensive player on the Irish this past season, a team captain, long arms, good wingspan, uses that to his advantage. Didn't get to see him at the combine because of a shoulder injury. But you think about a guy like Brandon Graham of the Eagles was one of the best players in the city of Detroit was the case with the uh, Kareem. 
as well. So got on the field as a true freshman. So it's just there's nothing flashy about it. I think that's the biggest thing with Kareem. Notre Dame's got a lot of prospects in this draft. Yeah. Quietly into the two safeties, uh, the corner, Troy Pride, who run, ran really fast, the two edge rushers. In the midst of, uh, I think, Dalen Hayes went back to school. He could have come out as well. Yeah, and they've got uh, kids going back to school. Obviously, you, you mentioned, uh, or you didn't even mention, like, Chase Claypool, certainly. Tony Jones, the running back. Cole Komet, the tight end. They've certainly got uh, a number of guys in this draft. All right, guys, uh, I mentioned at the top, we're going to kind of go position by position. This is something we're going to do over the next couple of weeks where – I don't really have a, a working title for this segment yet, but I'm thinking something like best in class or I don't know. It's basically superlatives. We're going to do four different categories for each position. And we're all, the three of us are going to provide a day one, a day two, and a day three option that best fits this kind of superlative. So for instance, the first position we're going to do is running back. And we're going to t- talk about the guys with the best vision. So C-Mac, you'll always be responsible for the guy in day one. Ben, you'll always be responsible for the guy in day two. And I'll take the sleepers. I'll take the uh, the guys in day three. C-Mac, let's start with you. And this is a little bit tough for the running back spot because we don't see too many running backs that are being talked about always in round one. But uh, who do you think, in terms of the guys that are discussed in that manner for the first round, who has the best vision of that group? For me, I went with DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. And it seems like he's the guy most likely to go in round one if you're looking at the mock drafts. Decisive, fluid, good, quick reaction. Short yards, he sees uh, where the crease is, and he's going on the perimeter and finding the cutback lane. So uh, pretty much there were five guys I was looking at here for uh, in this group of the potential day one guys, or really most likely it's going to be guys going to day two. So it'll be leaking into Ben's territory a little bit there. But uh, for vision, I went with DeAndre Swift out of Georgia. You know, that's a great pick, C-Mac, because I have written down in his bio, he almost has too good a vision. Sometimes he doesn't just go. Sometimes he sees little alleys and creases and dances a little bit too much, but his head is always looking for those alleys and that escape route. But my pick is J.K. Dobbins, who I think is the cutback king in this draft because he's a great, great feel for that outside zone game, letting those linebackers and everybody wash out, put your foot in the ground and get downhill out the back door number of 20-yard gains off the cutbacks, off outside zone. The only way to do that is have good feel, patience, timing, but most importantly, having the vision to feel the defense flow and then hit that back door. I know he had a bunch of big runs against Wisconsin, a bunch of big cutbacks against Michigan. The only way to do that is have the feel and the vision. J.K. Dobbins, great vision. Yeah, you guys brought up two big names because to me, when I look at vision and running backs, I almost kind of split it off into two categories, like vision between the tackles in, in tight spaces and traffic and then vision out in the open field, because I think that kind of requires two different kinds of skill sets. And I think that both of those guys, both Swift and Dobbins, have the ability to both create room for themselves uh, in tight quarters, but also find green grass out in the open field, find those cutback lanes and be able to create some big plays out in space. I think both of those guys are able to do it. For me on day three, the guy that I kind of put in that same category is Benny LeMay from Charlotte. A little bit obviously on the undersized side, but I think when you look at Benny LeMay, his vision and make you miss ability, and we'll talk about make you miss here in a second, but his vision really stands out to me both between the tackles and out in space. So I went with Benny LeMay, ended up being the MVP of the Shrine Bowl. I'm a big fan of him, especially when you get into that day three range. Uh, Benny LeMay from Charlotte, to me, uh, was the guy I went with for best vision on day three. He's got a lot of pass game upside, Fran. He runs some really nice angle routes. I think someone's going to get a great value on day three out of him. 
I'm going to be honest, in all in the three of these four categories for me on day three, I could have picked Benny LeMay. Certainly in the next one, in the next category here, is the best make-you-miss ability. C-Mac, we'll start with you in round one. All right, going with the day one guys, there, there wasn't one that really stood out, so I went with Cam Akers, uh, Florida State. He's not flashy. It's not going to be a guy that's going to shake you out of your shoes. I feel like there's going to be some of the smaller scat backs you're going to find on day three who are going to you know fall into that category. But I thought he makes good lateral cuts to keep from taking the full impact of the tackle, and he can get low to avoid hits. The one thing as we look into his transition, is he going to have, because Florida State's offensive line wasn't great in 2019, will he have bad habits that are going to carry over going to the NFL? So for the make you miss, uh, I went with Cam Akers. You know, that's a great pick, C-Mac, because the only way you could have a great make you miss back is the play behind a pretty bad <laughs> offensive line. <laughs> He's got plenty of experience. Yeah. And Cam Akers had to do a whole lot of make you miss at every different level and aspect of running the football out there. That was actually my pick because I think he's a perfect day two player, and he was a make you miss player in the backfield, on the perimeter, between the tackles. I mean, in the opening game this year in 2019 against Boise State, it was fourth and one. We're not going to block the Mike linebacker for some reason. He's got to make a miss in the hole. 50-yard touchdown. So I think Cam Akers, that's a great pick, C-Max. So I'm going to double down on that one there. But the only way you can have that make-you-miss style is to play behind a little bit of dysfunction. And I think Cam Akers had a good two, three years experience behind some dysfunctional lines. That's a great point. For me, as I mentioned, I could have very easily put Benny LeMay in this category uh, out of Charlotte. But I went with a guy that I think to me is a day-two talent but will likely fall to day three just because of some of the medical concerns. And I think when you look at Zach Moss out of Utah, his make you miss is a little bit different than what we talk about with Cam Akers, a little bit different than a Benny LeMay. His power and contact balance to me really, really stands out. And he's got some shake to him. He's got some wiggle to, to be able to make that first man miss. But to me, his make you miss ability comes from his power and his balance. I think his balance is some of the best in this class. I would throw Eno Benjamin from Arizona State in that group as well. To me, you look at Zach Moss, his ability to make that first man miss. And that is such a crucial trait to me for the running back spot. And that's why I wanted to give that award out for that position was that, uh, you know, if you could make that first man miss, you know, the offensive line blocks you for four, you get six. The offensive line blocks you for six, you get eight. To me, that is where you really bring value as a running back. And both Akers and, and Moss, uh, a lot of these guys that we've talked about already certainly bring that value there. Let's get to the next one here, guys. Best pass game value. Obviously, we always talk about running backs that can impact the pass game. And the reason why I phrased it that way is, we can talk about pass catching as a receiver or also in pass protection as well. Uh, C-Mac, we'll start with you on day one. So I, I bet you Ben and I will have the same answer, but I went with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU. Oh, come on. <laughs> you, you've, you made the comp to Brian. I'll just let you have the show. Again, I'm, I'm a very, very C-Mac's small window yeah, to work <laughs> with here, okay? That's all fine and good. I will let you have the floor, Ben, okay? I'll just go but from a statue standpoint, 55 receptions, this past season for the national champ. So very extensive experience catching the ball out of the backfield. You know, Clyde Edwards Hilaire is a guy that could really fit into all these categories. Best vision, make you miss, pass game, explosive, whatever you need. He's really done it. A big workload. I think he only had two fumbles, one going into the end zone, one on a quarterback mesh point. So his ability to extend the play, the vision, the pass game upside in the screen game, catching the ball down the field. I'll go with the sleeper for you here, though, Fran and C-Mac. How about this kid, Xavier Jones, at SMU? Wasn't invited to the combine. He's 5'11", 208. 
He had 1,200 yards rushing this year, 25 touchdowns, 12 runs of 20-plus. He's a great, great upside guy in the pass game. Wasn't used a whole lot, but anytime they got him in the, into the flat, into the screen game, swing passes, he always made guys miss in the open field. He's a guy that I'm not really hearing anybody talk about, but when I put on his tape, he reminds me a lot of Devin Singletary at FAU, oh. that a player that I just think can really contribute to somebody's pass game. And there's just a lot of backs in this draft that can do that for you. Some guys that really aren't talked about, whether it's Gerald Bright at Utah State that really took over that Darwin Thompson role, or a Keyshawn Vaughn at a Vanderbilt, who's a great screen back there in the SEC. So there's a lot of guys in this draft in all different days to contribute in the pass game. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good point. And to me, like, that's why I went with a, a guy that to, I think he's the best blocker in this draft, the best pass protector. He's also a former receiver, and that's DJ Dallas out of Miami, uh, a one-year starter for the Hurricanes. This is a guy that's got some juice. He can create some big plays. But I was impressed by his toughness, and it, certainly with his ability to come in and be a pass protector as a former receiver, that really, really impressed me. And I, I look at DJ Dallas, to me, as having some of the best pass game value. I could have gone with – Darius Anderson. I certainly could have gone with Keyshawn Vaughn, as you mentioned, but DJ Dallas kind of took the cake for me in terms of overall pass game value on day three of this draft. Last one, guys, for the running back spot. Most explosive, C-Mac, uh, day one guy. I kind of think I know which direction you're going here. Who do you think I'm going with? I, I think you got to go Jonathan Taylor, right? I mean, Yeah, that's, that's, that's who I've got. That's who I've got. You know, Wisconsin backs, they're thought of typically as plotty, slower guys, but he tested off the charts of the combine. Big play production throughout his career with the Badgers. He's just a one-cut-and-go type of back. So fun to watch. Going into the combine, Fran, you did a great job. I think he was your stopwatch shocker, if I believe, as someone who's going to test much better than everyone anticipated. And Taylor certainly backed it up. So he was my most explosive back here among the superlatives of this draft class. Yeah, Fran, I have a guy that I think is a little bit off the grid here, but he showed up to the combine and looked really good. Darrington Evans at Mm. App State. Who's five eleven, two oh three? He ran four four one, jumped thirty seven inches, broaded ten five, and when you look at his numbers and his production, explosive, explosive player. Last year, sixteen runs of twenty plus yards. This year, twelve runs of twenty plus yards. Twenty one receptions, catches the ball really well. Fourteen hundred yards total. Eighteen touchdowns this past year. A really, really productive player out there in the Sun Belt. I think he won the rushing title last year. Gave him a bigger workload this year, which is really impressive to see. So just a guy that can take the ball and take, be a home run hitter for you in any facet of uh, getting out of the backfield. Yeah, and you might be sitting at home and thinking like, oh, wow, Derek Evans, day two, like, is that going to happen? I think when you're talking about speed, really at any position, but if you're talking about speed at the running back position – that could be an X factor that can rise you up the board, and certainly that could be the case there with Darrington Evans sneaking into the second day of the draft. Uh, I want to go with a guy that, look, I think he very well could go on day two of this draft, but I think there's also a decent chance he falls to the fourth or fifth round. That's Keyshawn Vaughn, the running back from Vanderbilt. Ben, you mentioned him earlier in terms of his pass game value. He certainly has that. Uh, one of the more explosive running backs in this draft, whether it's in the run game, whether it's in the pass game, he's got some make-you-miss ability. Transferred from Illinois, was productive at both places, started as a true freshman out there for the Illini, but he's a Nashville kid, went home to Vanderbilt, ended up transferring there, and was productive over the last couple of years in the SEC. So I'm going to go with Keyshawn Vaughn as my most explosive back coming from day three of this draft. Guys, let's transition to our second position here and our, our last position for this week's show. Best center fielder at the safety spot. We're going to do the safety position. Uh, C-Mac, day one, center fielder at the safety spot. Day one, I went with Grant Delpit from the National Champion Tigers. Your prototypical post-safety has the range, the length, 
Everyone has been knocking him for the tackling, but battled a high ankle sprain in 2019 and still earned All-American honors. He was a unanimous first-team selection in 2018. So for best center fielder, I went to Grant Delpit, someone who I thought of as possible alternate. I'm going to get on a little bit later in this segment. Mm. So my pick, Fran, who I think is one of the biggest risers here in the offseason, from the offseason bowls to the senior bowl to the combine, is Jeremy Chin, who I think has just been a fast, fast riser. And when you look at what he's done from the summer, which he weighed 208, he shows up to the combine at 221, but still looks explosive, running 445, broading 11-6, 41-inch vertical. When you put on the tape, anytime he's on the back end of the defense, can make tons of plays, tons of interceptions coming from the middle of the field to the sideline. One of the rangiest players I think I've ever studied. A long strider, explosive, takes really good angles, great ball skills. I'm telling you, this is the day two version of Isaiah Simmons. I would agree with you that there's not somebody that has helped themselves the most from senior bowl combine. I mean, Jeremy Chin's got to be on the short list there in terms of who has helped their stock the most uh, after the season has ended. For me, day three, I went with I went to the SEC. I'm going with J.R. Reed, three-year starter for Georgia, transferred up. He's began his career at Tulsa, but this is a guy who I think is a pure post safety. He's got the ability to make plays outside the numbers, also being serviceable against the run. We don't talk enough about J.R. Reed, but uh, look, he's not the most dynamic athlete in the world in terms of his change of direction, but uh, this is a guy I think has got sideline to sideline speed. He's an instinctive player. He's made some great plays in the post. Uh, I can remember his interception against Notre Dame coming downhill uh, and making that play outside the numbers along the sideline. So to me, I think when you look at his route recognition ability and his top end speed, I think he's got the range to be able to play in the post. Guys, let's go to the next category here. Uh, best overall run defender that we're talking about. Uh, CMAC, we're going to talk with you. Uh, day one, overall run defender. All right, I don't know if it's necessarily going to be a day one, but Kyle Duggar. Uh, we got to see at the combine, he and Jeremy Chin were going tit for tat, whether it was the explosive drills, uh, the positional workouts. But Duggar, as we saw at the senior bowl, will bring the wood as well. Uh, looks like a twitch of linebacker with the range to play safety on the back end. You know, Fran, I was going to go here with Kaliki Hudson, but I don't know if it was fair to call him a safety or not because he played so much right, in the box. Sure. He lined up with the linebackers at the combine. So I'm going to go with a guy you may not expect here, Xavier McKinney, who I think is a really good player, most likely a day one player, but I think he actually falls to day two here. But he's a really, really good run defender. He doesn't look like it at his size. But you put on that LSU game, he has to stick his nose into the fire on a number of plays, and he finishes Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Really good tackler, really, really good form tackler and can finish ball carriers. He's not afraid. He's a little undersized, but he's a really fearless player that I see a Malcolm Jenkins style of player that you just want around the box, covering slots, blitzing, and he is no liability in the run at just a shade over 200 pounds. Yeah, I mean, he played he played linebacker for them for a couple games this year, sorry, including most of that LSU game, as you mentioned. Certainly a guy that is comfortable close to the line of scrimmage. I'm going to go with a guy that I don't think people would expect to be in this category, but I was really impressed watching Brian Cole from Mississippi State coming downhill and playing against the run. Really violent at the point of attack against receivers as stock blockers. And a really nice form tackler. This is a converted wide receiver at Michigan State who went the junior college route, ended up at Mississippi State, moved to safety, and really impressed with his physicality, uh, lined up in the post, lined up in the slot. So he's got some versatility there as well. Uh, I look at Brian Cole, and I was really, really impressed with his competitiveness, his toughness, and his feel 
coming downhill from distance uh, to play close to the line of scrimmage. So I went with Brian Cole there from Mississippi State. As Fran, best I'm a huge fan of Brian Cole. I think you hit it right on the head at the end of there. Feisty, competitive, long, rangy. It just seems like anytime he touches somebody, whether it's taking on a block or finishing a ball carrier, they just go backwards. This guy has a bit of a thump to him, a bit of a feisty kind of pestiness to him that I really like. And I think he's going to make a great defensive back, maybe even just be a big nickel for somebody out there in the slot. Yeah, I think you're 100% right on that. And he was a guy I could have used uh, for this upcoming category, and that's best slot or nickel player. A guy that a safety that can come down and be a factor in sub-package play over the slot uh, as an overhang player. C-Mac, we'll start with you. As a player for day one that you feel could fit that role. This is a player who... I'm disappointed that we did not get to see in the pre-draft process due to injury, and that's Kyle's Ashton Davis. Now, he has some experience playing in the slot. He has a track background, and earlier I mentioned there was another player who I thought might be in that best center fielder role, but I think since he has that track background, he's newer to football, not quite as developed, I think he can use that athleticism in the slot and make plays for you in the middle of the field. So I went with Ashton Davis out of Cal. Brand, this guy I know we have both have a crush on, and we just both feel like he needs more love, more appreciation, and that's Kayvon Wallace. This guy has played a lot of football at Clemson, was an all-state player in high school on both sides of the ball, so we love seeing the receiver pedigree from defensive backs. Three-time ACC honor roll, has done micro-internships with the NFL and Cisco, 44 career games experienced player, a leader, a captain, a senior, and he's just played so many different roles for Brent Venable's defense in Clemson, played a number of big games, can play on the back end, but particularly covering slot uh, receivers, tight ends, smaller slot receivers. Kayvon Wallace is exactly what you want in the defensive background. I mean, you look at any like 10 to 15-year veteran in the NFL, the Antoine Bethes, the Tony Jeffersons of the world, I just think this guy carves out a long, long career in the NFL and can wear a number of hats for any defensive coordinator. I had a feeling, Ben, that you would go with Wallace. I thought about going with Wallace. Uh, I could have gone with Brian Cole, as I mentioned, but I ended up going with Brandon Jones, the safety from Texas. And this is a guy that wore a lot of hats for that Texas defense. You could see him in the post. You could see him in the box as an extra linebacker, but spent a lot of time lined up over the slot as well. He's a good athlete. We didn't get to see him really at all during the pre-draft process because of an injury, very similar to Ashton Davis, c But Brandon Jones, to me, a very underrated player overall uh, when you're talking about this class. Because I think he's got sideline to sideline range. I like his demeanor. He's a, a, a well put together athlete. He's a guy that, to me, very, very impressive player on day three in this draft. And then lastly, guys, most versatile. C-Mac, we'll start with you in day one. I'll be quick uh, because Ben already mentioned him. Xavier McKinney of Alabama. He made the Malcolm Jenkins comp. Uh, has experience playing deep, playing the box, playing slot. Positionless player, as you talked a lot about this offseason, Fran. So uh, my most versatile one was Xavier McKinney. I really like that Brandon Jones pick. And all you have to do is put on that LSU game and watch him run vertically with Justin Jefferson, not once, but twice, which is really impressive. And there's a lot of guys here I'd like to pick. Kaliki Hudson, I think, can do a lot of things for you there. But this is a guy I think is a little bit different in this package, and that's Tanner Muse. And he may not be our normal defensive back, probably won't ever line up in the post in the NFL. But he's a guy that I think has a lot of versatility, a lot of value on special teams. And he's just a really tough athletic player that I think blew us all away at the combine running 4-4-1 at 231 pounds. And you just look at what Thomas Davis did coming out of Georgia, moving from safety to linebacker. I think Tanner Muse is 
athleticism, his play personality, his experience is kind of what you want at Will Linebacker. So I just think there's a lot of things he can do for you for a defensive coordinator. He may not be a prototypical anything, but I think he could do a lot of different things and wear a lot of different hats. And these are the guys that you fill out your roster with. Uh, that's a, a great one. And to me, I think a guy that you can put into a similar kind of, you can say a lot of the same things about, but he's just built in a different way. Terrell Burgess from Utah, just a one-year starter. But to me, I look at this guy as a high floor player. I think he's going to stick in the league for a long time. People rave about him off the field, but you look at his skill set and coverage. He can play man-to-man. He's an excellent zone coverage player. He's tough. He's competitive. He's a great special teams player. Uh, whether he's a third, fourth safety uh, he comes in the spot. He's got experience there. Former corner, so he's got experience on the outside. He can play in the post. So uh, this is a guy that can do a lot of different things for you. I think most likely ends up day three. Has a, certainly has a chance, though, to go late day two as well. So uh, Terrell Burgess, the guy that I wanted to hit on there for my v- most versatile player on day three at the safety spot. Let's go real quickly, guys, to our uh, big board breakdown. We did Joe Marino's of the Draft Network. Uh, C-Mac, your takeaways from Joe Marino's big board on the Draft Network. A uh, guy I want to pound the table for here. He had Cesar Ruiz from Michigan at number 21. And according to Three Sigma Athlete, the fourth best athlete amongst all offensive linemen, I thought his position workout was very underrated. You're not really hearing a lot of first-round buzz about him, but considering what happened with the Dallas Cowboys this week with Travis Frederick retiring, Daniel Jeremiah in his latest top 50 said, overall, Ruiz reminds me of Travis Frederick. coming out of Wisconsin. He'll just turn 21 when the season starts, has experience at both center and right guard. A native of Camden, started his high school career at Camden High before transferring to IMG Academy in Florida. And then you look at the last two drafts, there have been five interior linemen who have gone in the first 21 picks. Two years ago, it was Quentin Nelson, and then Frank Ragnow and Billy Price. And then last year, it was uh, Garrett Bradbury and Chris Lindstrom going in the first 18 selections. So Cesar Ruiz, not seeing a lot of him in that top 25, top 30 or so. So him at number 21 really stood out to me. Ben, any takeaways for you? Oh, a whole lot of takeaways, Fran. I thought you never asked. Now, Joe Marino, <laughs> we love you. We love you to death. A lot of hard work putting these uh, big boards together. But let's right. take a look at a couple of the eye-popping things. And there was a couple of them. Christian Fulton, CB2 over some of the likes of C.J. Henderson and other guys. Uh, That's a little bit higher than I expected. And then on the other side of that, Trayvon Diggs, cornerback nine. And that's a guy that I'm seeing a lot of cornerback one, two, and three, pretty consensus. So I think Joe is a little bit lower on uh, Trayvon Diggs and others. Xavier McKinney, safety number one, which seems to be uh, really building steam. He seems to be leapfrogging uh, Grant Delpit in a lot of the categories. How about UConn's Matt Pert? Tackle number eight over Austin Jackson and Ben Barch. That's kind of an interesting pick there. He has more of a uh, basketball profile with that really angular athletic frame there. I'm a really big fan of Matt Pert. I could see a athletic offense like a Green Bay Packers or somebody that likes to get the tackles out into the perimeter taking a Matt Pert there. And my last one, tight end number one, Bryson Hopkins, which is a really good player. But the interesting thing about it, 78th overall for his tight end number one. Right. Just not a good tight end class this year. So seeing that positional value and where each tight end one or each positional rankings come in is also important when weighing the collective board. 
to me, I, I just went to the offensive line and just seeing Andrew Thomas at number 11 was just great for me. Great to see. I actually have been uh, putting my finishing touches on the offensive lineman this week, guys. And going back and watching Andrew Thomas you know, play at Georgia, to me, I just feel like we're not talking enough about how good Andrew Thomas is. That, to me, like this guy is one of the 10, 15 best players in this draft. It's a really good tackle group at the top. And I think Andrew Thomas, to me, it's kind of flying under the radar. You know, we talk a lot about Jujic Wills and, you know, obviously Tristan Wirfs and Mekhi Becton, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, but we don't talk enough about Andrew Thomas. So seeing Joe kind of have him at number 11 kind of felt good because I just got done watching him uh, when I went and looked at the big board. And to me, having him that high, I think, kind of speaks to his ability. So good to see Andrew Thomas there, a guy that I think could play left tackle or right tackle. He's got experience doing both. Uh, with the Bulldogs. And I think he's got that ability to do either uh, in the NFL. So. And Fran, I think there's some NFL teams that are more than okay with Andrew Thomas not getting a lot of buzz right now. Right. Because <laughs> he just, it's not that he didn't do anything bad. It's just Tristan Wirf stole the show with his workout. Makai Becton was obviously a freak show. Austin Jackson has some good off-the-field stories. He just didn't have a whole lot of narratives around his name. He's played a lot of good football, and he's going to be a consensus top 15 player and someone's going to get a great tackle that could play both sides let's get to the mock draft roundup here we're gonna go lance zerline from nfl.com one of the chalk picks it seems for the eagles one of the more popular selections we're seeing now lsu wide receiver justin jefferson we've kind of said our pieces about justin jefferson right i mean i think all three of us really like that value we like justin jefferson right there in the middle of round one we like the player we like everything that he brings to the table so i don't know if we've got anything else to say on justin jefferson unless you guys feel otherwise No, I kind of just feel Justin Jefferson is what the model and the mold of Nelson Aguilar was at USC, except more ready. I think Nelson played in a lot of a double move offense at USC, a lot of punt returning. I think Justin Jefferson is just a little bit more refined in his route running, more polished with his hands, tracking the ball down the field. I think this guy's ready to contribute from day one in the slot for somebody, whether that's quick game, intermediate, down the field. I think he just does everything right for a slot receiver. Let's get uh, to the five picks before the Eagles, as we often do. C-Mac, uh, I want to go to you first and see what, what you thought about the five guys that went before the Eagles. Atlanta at 16, taking C.J. Henderson. Dallas at 17, uh, taking Caleb on chasing a, a pick that you kind of tipped uh, last week, C-Mac, you talked about on last week's show. Cincinnati at 18, taking Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma, the linebacker. Las Vegas Raiders taking at 19, A.J. Terrell, the Clemson corner. And Jacksonville at 20, taking quarterback Jordan Love. C-Mac, what are your takeaways from that? Uh, the big thing for me here, I, I touched just a moment ago on Cesar Ruiz and maybe does Dallas become a player there, but every mock pretty much had Chase on going to the Falcons at 16. Now that Dante Fowler is in the fold with a three-year deal, the Falcons go get the second defensive back in this draft after Jeff Okuda going up earlier in the draft, getting Florida C.J. Henderson. So we just talked a moment ago about you know who's at CB2 after Okuda. Well, the Falcons take C.J. Henderson. Ben, any takeaways from you? No, not particularly. I thought uh, seeing A.J. Terrell up there was interesting. Good yep, player. Jordan, Jordan Love, uh, the quarterback, I think is going to go earlier than 20. If he's sitting there at 15 or 16, I think someone's going to jump up and take him. It happens every year with the quarterbacks. Kenneth Murray to Cincinnati. That's not really a pick I expected. So uh, assuming they walk out of that draft with uh, you know, a top quarterback and a Kenneth Murray, a quarterback of the defense. That's really a changing of the guard for the Cincinnati Bengals. And I agree with you that A.J. Terrell uh, going up. We don't typically see A.J. Terrell this high. And I think the talent warrants it. A very, very gifted player at the cornerback spot. I, I like A.J. Terrell. What are we missing with A.J. Terrell, Fran? He's a five-star, top corner. Everybody yep. wanted him. 
He's played in big games. I think he had like pretty much undefeated at Clemson. He's been on the field for two or three years for Brent Venables. What are we missing with this kid? Is he just kind of caught in a very deep cornerback class? Yeah, and that people, I think, have that sour taste in their mouths from the title game, man. People saw, you know, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and those guys running roughshod over that Clemson secondary, and uh, it wasn't a good game for A.J. Terrell. So I, I think people have kind of knocked him uh, a little bit overboard for, for that. I think you look at A.J. Terrell, the big picture, this is a gifted player. I, I, to me, uh, I would not sleep on A.J. Terrell, certainly at the end of round one. The five guys that went after the Eagles, this is kind of interesting, guys. Minnesota at 22, taking Yator Grossmatos. Remember, that's the pick that they acquired from the Buffalo Bills in the Stephon Diggs trade. Uh, New England taking linebacker Patrick Queen. The New Orleans Saints taking Denzel Mims at 24. Minnesota taking Ross Blacklock, the defensive tackle from TCU. And then Miami taking tackle Josh Jones. The biggest takeaway for me is I got to think that Minnesota addresses corner and or wide receiver with one of those two picks, right? 100%. Like, yep. If you look at their, the receiving core, it's Adam Thielen and not much else. And you look at the cornerback spot, what they've lost, I mean, it's they've lost three of their top four corners. They've lost uh, potentially two of their top three safeties. They need to address that secondary. So uh, I think that would be very, very interesting to see Minnesota coming out of round one. To me, I think you look at Trayvon Diggs, who goes late in round one in this scenario. Uh, I think he's a great fit for uh, Mike Zimmer and what he likes to do defensively. And you know one guy, guys, that – the more I look at this and the more I think, man, like trying to find like players that fit teams like Denzel Mims to me fits what the Minnesota Vikings look for typically year to year because he's uh, he passes a lot of the analytical thresholds from an athletic standpoint, from a production standpoint. But then uh, also he's a run first guy to me. Like I, I look at Denzel Mims, I'm almost putting that one in pen that he's going either 22 or 25 to the Minnesota Vikings. Wow. It's almost like uh, they're trying to make up for the Laquan Treadwell miss. From right. a couple of years ago. One thing, though, about the D-line in Minnesota, losing Everson Griffin, most likely, sure. yep. couldn't come to terms of agreement. Linville Joseph and Steven Weatherly signed elsewhere. They do need to remake that defensive line as well. So it is very interesting how they've really got to remodel that, that team on the fly here. Yeah, no question. When you look at Minnesota, what they're going to try and do here at the end of the first round, especially with two picks, is going to be very interesting to follow. All right, guys, let's get to the next segment here. It's time for Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, guys, so for Pick 6 this week, we're going to do six players who are more athletic than maybe their testing showed out in Indianapolis. And I'm going to go with the guy that we talked about at the top, and that's Jalen Rager. I think when you look at what he did from a shuttle standpoint, uh, a lot of people have compared it to the situation with DK Metcalf a year ago. The difference is, uh, to me, like, Metcalf, you saw some of that stiffness at the top of his brakes. You saw, you know, I, I think he might have some issues laterally from an athleticism standpoint. You don't see that on film with Jalen Rieger. This guy is loose. He's he's Obviously, he's explosive. He's got the ability to move in a straight line, but I thought he was a really loose, fluid athlete on film. So looking at Jalen Rieger, we'll see you know what the private workout numbers look like eventually if those numbers do come out. But to me, he's a guy that is more athletic than what he put out on the turf in Indianapolis. And again, with him, it, it was, I think, a lot of the expectations were through the roof. That's the biggest thing. But if he's lost the weight and gained some of that back, but again, I, I agree with Ben said at the top of the show where it's fine to sacrifice a, a tick of a second if you're going to become a much more versatile player at the next level. Uh, C-Mac, who's your first player? First player, I wanted Josh Jones to tackle out of Houston. Uh, tested as a like a mid-range athlete, according to Three Sigma Athlete, in terms of uh, when he put all the numbers together from what he posted at the Combine. But seeing him at the senior ball up close, thought he was a very rangy, athletic left tackle. Showed a lot of promise there. I was quite surprised to see where he fell 
in terms of the rankings from an athletic timing and testing standpoint from what we saw on the field at Mobile and even in his positional workout at the Combine. So I went with Josh Jones out of Houston as my first selection. Fran, I don't know what we saw from tight end Hunter Bryant at the Combine. He ran 4.74. I think he jumped 34 inches, 32 inches, 32 and a half. I was expecting a much more explosive player, which he shows on tape. I thought he was closer to an Evan Ingram. Now, Evan Ingram ran 4-4. I wasn't expecting that, but maybe a 4-5 player jumping 38 inches. His dad was a strength and conditioning coach before, so I thought he'd you know just show out a little bit better in the workouts. I mean, 4-7-4 from a flex hybrid tight end, that's barely beating Tristan Wirfs in the 40. But that's not the player on tape I saw at all. Right. This is a yep. vertical threat a guy, dangerous, dangerous player with the ball in his hands. So instead of leaning a little bit more towards Evan Ingram, put me down for more of a Trey Burton style of player that I still could think would be a matchup nightmare for somebody. Yeah, it's a, that's a good point. And to me, I think a guy that you look on the other side of the line of scrimmage that kind of fits that same bill is Trayvon Hill, the pass rusher from Miami. You watch him on film and he's an undersized guy. You like him in space. He's a high side rusher. But he's athletic. He's bendy. He's got a good first step. He can, he can win athletic matchups against offensive linemen. But the way he tested, it was just bad across the board. So, uh, you know, was it a bad day at the office out in Indianapolis for Trayvon Hill? You know, I don't know. But I just know that the, the film shows a better athlete than what he put out uh, in terms of the athletic testing numbers. Pass rusher from Miami. Again, a transfer from Virginia Tech. Had some issues there with the Hokies. So went down to Miami this past season for his final year in college football. And to me, uh, an athletic guy coming off the edge. I thought that was one of the traits that he could hang his hat on going to the next level. C-Mac, who's your second guy? I'm shocked that uh, you didn't take this guy, Jordan Elliott, uh, Mizzou. Uh, I know you're a fan of his game, a penetrating three-tech, and just a shade over five seconds in a 40 at the combine. His vert was 27 and a half inches. Not a great number compared to other defensive linemen. 20-yard shuttle wasn't, wasn't tremendous either, but when you see the quickness, the ability to get off the ball, the way to get in the backfield of opposing offenses, definitely seems like a guy that where that skill set will transition to the next level, even though we didn't see that on the field at Lucas Oil Stadium back in February. And then, Ben, who's your second guy? This guy, his stock was soaring leading up to the combine and then deflated like a flat balloon. And that's Cameron Dantzler who people were starting to work into the first round of some mocks and some big boards, really locked up some of the better receivers in the STC. He's tall. He's long. People thought, is he a Kevin King player? Well, Kevin King ran 4-4-3. Then Cameron Dantzler decides to only run the 40, only do the vertical jump. And what does he do? Runs 4-6-4 and jumps 34-and-a-half for a guy that won the state long jump championship in high school. So that was a workout I did not expect. And I saw a much faster, more explosive player on tape. One of the better performances against LSU's Jamar Chase. And a guy I don't think allowed a touchdown uh, last season in the SEC, which is really impressive. So a guy we expected to look much better in his workout. Can I, uh, I'm going to make a prediction here, guys. It's March 25th or about a month out, right, from the draft. Okay. Cam Dantzler, round two. Buffalo Bills. Like, let's let's put it in pencil. Let's let's like write this down. What, what what's the feeling there? I think when you look at the way that they've kind of built their team over the last few years and the way Brandon Bean has kind of operated in the draft, certainly they like younger players. And Cam Dantzler, you know, fits that bill. They've also taken guys that haven't tested great but fit this category, right? And I think you look back to last year, uh, Devin Singletary, uh, Dawson Knox mm-hmm. uh, kind of fit that bill. There are a couple guys that take the last Great couple point. of years yeah. that you know maybe like showed to be good athletes on film, 
but kind of fell through the cracks a little bit. And they go a little bit younger. They certainly have a need there, a corner for, you know, maybe another guy to go uh, next to Tredavious White. They brought in Josh Norman, but is he that guy? Cam Dantzler, I think, kind of, and he kind of fit, he fits the scheme too there with Sean McDermott. So uh, I think you look at Cam Dantzler and Buffalo. Uh, that's a fun defensive background with those safeties and Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde. We both really like Syrian Neal and Teron Johnson coming out, yep. who've both played some snaps at nickel for him there. So really interesting defensive backroom. I'd love to see a Cameron Dantzler tall, long corner mixed in with Trey White and those guys. Yeah, that's a, that's a fit that I really, really like. All right, let's get to our last segment here. It's time now for Draft Mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans, in the Draft Mailbag. All right, guys. So as always, the best way to help the show, go on to wherever you listen, leave a rating, leave a review, leave a review. And if you leave a question, we'll answer it here on the show. You guys have done a great job really over the last few weeks, last couple of months of constantly giving us a flow of questions. And that's why this segment has gotten longer and longer each and every week. We're going to start this week uh, with right him, that longtime listener that left a five-star review with this comment. Hey guys, love the combine episodes. The interviews were amazing. Great intel from the guests. I'm an Eagles fan, but I love the sport. I'm interested in all 32 teams around the league and was Wanting to know what are the six players who have a skill set that you think matches as close to perfect as another team's scheme or head coach's philosophy as possible. So obviously I just mentioned Cam Dantzler just now. I feel like that could kind of fit uh, in this mold. But for example, he thinks AJ Epinesa would fit perfectly with the Patriots, Lions, or Dolphins in that Belichick system or coaching tree. Maybe an Isaiah Simmons with the Redskins and Ron Rivera's defense. Let's comment first on Epinesa, New England scheme. We've talked a little bit over the last few weeks. I kind of like the AJ Epinesa Trey Flowers comp. So uh, to me, like I agree, I think AJ Epinesa would fit in great uh, in that style of system. Yeah, Fran, it's funny that you comp him to Trey Flowers. I don't see that at all. Now, my comp for a Trey Flowers player would be more like a Terrell Lewis at Alabama, a guy with a flexible lower half with a really violent, uh, heavy-handed upper half there. I think AJ Epinesa is closer to a Jared Allen. And another name I have written down in his comp is Rob Ninkovich. So it's funny that we still can find a Belichick type of player to fit that mold, just not in Trey Flowers, in my opinion. I think he's more of a brute type of edge setter. He's not really going to turn the corner on you. Not a whole lot of flexibility, but a guy that's not a liability on rundowns, can slide in at three tech when you need in some sub packages, and a guy that just doesn't have a whole lot of juiciness, you know, with his high side rushes and those speed rushes there. But he's a really good, solid, productive player that you don't have to take off the field. I really see a Jared Allen type of old school brute strong pass rusher. Interesting. Yeah, he's a, a really interesting player because of the of the the profile for sure. Guys, the way I wanted to answer this question was almost in a quasi bonus pick six. And C-Mac, give us a, a guy that you would put to kind of fit this category. It's funny you mentioned Terrell Lewis a moment ago, uh, Ben, for the Patriots. I thought of him in Baltimore. You know, I thought of him as one of those tough, edge rushers who's not going to be flashy flying off the edge who, who could set the edge but is toolsy enough to work his way to get to the quarterback so uh there were it's already alabama north up there that's so. that's that's the thing so there are a couple <laughs> of guys who I, I was thinking with the connection to baltimore but it's a very interesting topic here because you have to almost find teams that have been set long enough or have enough uh, of a track record 100 yep you know that's that's i think one of the difficult things when you see a lot of transition going on throughout the league but terrell lewis to the ravens was the one that came up for me yeah i think lewis kind of matches what mike zimmer and those guys have built up in minnesota so he's a guy certainly i would keep an eye on to that team i mentioned uh, denzel mims i think could fit well in minnesota but here, here's a here's one your gross matos you know i think when you look at, at the defensive end from penn state and you look at the seattle seahawks number one they love 
length and explosive athletes, that versatility to be able to line up inside, outside, uh, along the defensive line. I think from a schematic standpoint, it fits. And then also, you hear what they, what they say after they draft guys. They seem to like guys that have overcome adversity, and they've talked about that a lot at post-press conferences, after drafts, and things like that. Uh, they've mentioned it, you know, even go back to like LJ Collier, some of the guys, that, you know, DK Metcalf, some of the guys they've taken over the last few years uh, that have overcome adversity. Yator Gross Matos, you could argue, has overcome more adversity in his life than a lot of the guys in this class. You don't want to say more than anybody, but Gross Matos has had a lot going on in his life. If you've not read his backstory, make sure you go and do that. To me, I think that that fit in Seattle makes a lot of sense, especially a team in Seattle that likes to draft for need uh, at the top of the first round. Yeah, I feel like he really fits the profile of a guy they took two years ago in Rasheem Green yep. at USC who's pretty much an edge player that was playing D-tackle at USC, but essentially can line up anywhere on the D-line for you in Seattle. And that's kind of what Yutur Gross Matos can do. You put on any game, put on the Indiana game, just watch third downs. He's a wide edge. He's a snug edge. He's three-tech. He's lining up over the center. You could see that positional versatility. And I love the comment about Terrell Lewis there in Baltimore. And the interesting thing about Terrell Lewis, he could potentially be one of the least experienced players to ever be drafted in the NFL. He's only played 640 snaps at the University of Alabama. It's right up there with Marshawn Lattimore and some other guys that Really didn't play a whole lot of snaps in college, but anytime Terrell Lewis was on the field and healthy, one of the more dominant players on the field. So I'm really excited for his upside, and I hope all the medicals check out. All right, well, C-Mac, who's, uh, who's your next guy here? Seeing how the Eagles just signed Javon Hargrave from the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm looking at this draft class and thinking, could the Steelers use a guy like Neville Gallimore from Oklahoma, a player who – should be a penetrating three technique as he was used in his final year at Oklahoma, but previously played the nose similar to how Hargrave was utilized in Pittsburgh. So for me, I went with Neville Gallimore to the Steelers. I love that one. Ben, do you have anybody that, that you like in this category? No, not particularly. I think we hit on a lot of those there. I like the positional versatile guys. So, you know, the Epinesas that could slide in your two gross Matos. I just think some of these Bryce Huffs out of Memphis or Josh Yuchi out of Michigan are really interesting players and they're going to be scheme specific. And I think both those guys really fit the Belichick tree as well. I think you have to look at a Kyle Van Noy style of player, or Dante Hightower, those off-ball guys that are essentially edge rushers and sub-packages. They're not going to be fits for everybody. They're good football players, but you have to have plans of attack for guys that are kind of unique styles. My last guy, I, to me, everyone talking about the San Francisco 49ers and they trade up to 13 with the Colts. Oh, they're going to draft Javon Kinlaw. They got to replace DeForest Buckner. Sure, it's possible. But I'll tell you what, guys. Like, you look at John Lynch – Right. And a lot of the guys they've brought in, they talk about their competitiveness and their toughness and, you know, the, the just the style, the attitude they play with. And that's kind of the mindset that they've built there in San Francisco. Right. And then you look at Kyle Shanahan and you look at the way that he's built his receiving core. And remember, this is a team that's already lost Emmanuel Sanders. He, he's signed in New Orleans. So he's gone. They traded for him uh, this fall. So they know that they have a need at wide receiver. Uh, they've got some young guys that haven't quite panned out. They're not quite sure about. To me, like he's always looking for speed, and Sanders filled that role. Like Henry Ruggs to the 49ers, I think makes a lot of sense. And to me, like when they trade up to 13, I looked at that and said, 
Henry Ruggs, like that could be the spot for where he kind of ends up. You know, everyone's kind of penciling him into 15 with Denver, but don't forget about 13 with San Francisco there uh, with the Alabama speedster. Uh, Come on, Fran. They already have Marquise Goodwin. You're only allowed to have so many Olympic caliber athletes in one receiving core here. I feel like the NFL needs to put the kibosh on that the way the NBA did the Chris Paul trade yeah. to the uh, the Lakers yeah. 10 years well, ago. Well, we don't know. I mean, we don't know what Marquise Goodwin's got in terms of what he's able to give them moving forward. We'll see. It's good. That's that's just one I'm going to keep an eye on. And I, I wouldn't rule out the Javon Kinlaw or anything like that, but uh, I'd keep an eye on Henry Ruggs in San Francisco. That'd be a good combination. That's almost like uh, Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardman and Debo Samuel and uh, Henry Ruggs. No That'd be a a dangerous, dangerous duo. No question. All right, let's get to our next one. Uh, great one there from right him. All right, another five-star review from Mbert81. Said, I love the show. I never miss an episode. Uh, so much great content, unreal knowledge. Really appreciate that. Thank you, Mbert. I uh, wanted to share a draft that I was able to get on one of the mock draft simulators that I couldn't believe I got. I love the tape of Cam Dantzler. We just got done talking about him, the corner from Mississippi State. Could he slide with his poor athletic testing? And what are your thoughts on him compared to the other top corners? Also, Amik Robertson is very fun to watch. I know with his size, people have him more as a slot, but is there a way that you could see him working as an outside corner? So uh, real quick, we'll just kind of go through this uh, this mock draft, guys, and then we'll hit on those two players, Dantzler and Amik Robertson. First round, he's got um, uh, Henry Ruggs going 21 to the Eagles. Uh, second round, Denzel Mims, so double dipping there at wide receiver in the first two rounds. Cam Dantzler in the third round, along with Texas Tech linebacker Jordan Brooks. This was obviously a mock draft done uh, before the Eagles trade for Darius Slay. Uh, fourth round, Davon Hamilton, the defensive tackle from Ohio State. Nick Harris, the center from Washington. And Jeremy Chin in the fourth round. I don't think Jeremy Chin will last to round four. Uh, Alex Highsmith, the pass rusher from Charlotte in the fifth round. Amik Robertson and Julian Blackman in the sixth round. Julian Blackman, the safety converted corner uh, from Utah. We talked about Dantzler, right? We've, we kind of hit on him, and we do feel we do like the player. Uh, certainly feel like he could slide a little bit because of the athletic testing. We'll see if he's able to improve on that at any kind of pro day workout here leading up to the draft. But let's talk a little bit about Amik Robertson and his ability to play. Uh, is he going to be in the slot only, or can he play on the outside? I'll tell you what, Ben, I, I love his film. He's a really competitive kid. He's got outstanding ball skills. To me, he's going to play in the league. He, he's going to find a home in the NFL. Fran, listen, you opened the draft with a 4-2 player and a 4-3 player. I don't think Eagles fans will even know what's happening the rest of the rounds. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be so so drunk with happiness and optimism there. But Amik Robertson, second-team All-American from the AP at a La Tech, and that's no accident. He's played 2,500 snaps, tons of ball production, physical player. They don't play corners over. So he had to play a lot of force player out there as well. A good run defender. He's feisty. He's physical. He can play inside, outside. And his highlight plays come in a variety of packages, which I love. Press man, off man, zone, bail, variety of schemes. I'll let him feast or famine on the outside first. He's shown me no reason that he can't hang with some of the top caliber receivers in the country. He's feisty. He's competitive. He's a little bit undersized, but that's okay. And I think he's very much like a Pac-Man Jones, the way he came into the league at 5'9", 187. I don't think he's quite that 4-3 player that Pac-Man was, but that same type of play profile. And if Captain Munnerlin can play 10 years, so can Amik Robertson. Amik Robertson will be a day three player because of the size, most likely. But the elite production, 14 interceptions as a true junior in his career, 48 pass breakups. You know, the big thing on day three is you're looking for elite traits, and certainly Robertson has that when it comes to ball skills. He had eight tackles for loss at 180 pounds. 
that is a pretty rare thing to do. I don't care how you're doing it, whether you're blitzing or run blitzing or whatever you have to do. They don't play corners over. So a lot of time he had to be the force defender and he looked more than willing to do it. I wouldn't rule him out for a late day too, guys. I think he could sneak into the third round. We'll, we'll see. I, I, to me, he's a really, really fun player to watch. Uh, last one here. Phantom FC left a five-star review saying, love the podcast. Great info and breakdowns from all draft eligible prospects. The interviews get an inside look at the draft process for us on the outside uh, and give us a whole new perspective. We all know the Eagles are looking at corner and wide receiver in this draft. Several mock drafts with different names. But would they consider trading back and adding more picks? They currently have 10 picks. Again, this was probably left right before the uh, the Darius Slay trade. Uh, enough capital move up if they seem necessary. But if the corner or wide receiver that they wanted is gone, what other position could you see them drafting at 21? Safety, D-line, or stick to their board and make the best player available selection? Thanks, guys, and keep up the great work. Uh, I think that this goes back to a conversation, what was it, three weeks ago, two weeks ago? Uh, it feels like it could have been months ago because we were back in the studio where we talked to, I think, Ben, you presented the over-under. Like, is it going to be over 10 picks, 10 picks, or under 10 picks? Right now, C-Mac is in the lead on that one after the, the Darius Slay trade as the Eagles currently have uh, eight selections uh, in the 2020 draft. But thoughts on, on what could happen in round one? If Let's say they have their eyes on a corner and receiver and they're both off the board. What do you guys see, think is on the board there uh, for the Eagles in that scenario? Well, I think it's really interesting to go through the conversation of packaging up picks and potentially trading back. So if the Eagles really covet a Henry Ruggs or a CeeDee Lamb and he's not there at 21 and you could walk out of day two with potentially a Brandon Ayuk and a KJ Hamler and maybe stockpile some picks, there's a lot of value on day two. I think anybody from 20 to 32 is going to have those phone lines way open taking any sort of offers they can to potentially trade back and stockpile a little bit more of those day two picks where there's going to be a lot of good players at safety, at corner, at edge rusher, at receiver, a lot of those positions the Eagles could use. Certainly. I, I definitely think the trade back option is open has been explained very well there. In terms of positions, every mock is going to have receiver corner, but to me, outside of quarterback, outside of running back and maybe outside of tight end, I think everything else is pretty much in play and specialists, of course. Sure. But I think so much is in play outside of those positions where you're pretty well stocked. D-line, even though they got Hargrave, certainly wouldn't shock me whether they go interior if you're just looking down the line or an edge rusher, even though they have a lot of depth there. Linebacker, certainly, even though they did bring in Jatavis Brown in free agency. Uh, you mentioned the safeties. Again, present arguments why I think for the most part why almost anything would be on the board. It all comes down to who is going to be available there at 21. We've talked about this numerous times in the show, but they, they do a good job every year of making sure that they can line up and play by the time they get to the draft. They, they don't, they're not going to force their hands in any one position. They feel comfortable across the board. And you could say the same. I know that you know, there are fans out there that say, oh, well, they haven't addressed the receiver position yet. Well, that means that they feel comfortable right now that they could play. Of course, they're going to continue to add across the board at a bunch of these positions. But if you felt like you needed to line up and play tomorrow across the board at defensive back, linebacker, D-line, wide receiver, offensive line, you feel like you've got the ability to do that. And that allows you to not have to force your hand in any one position when you get to the first round. It allows you to kind of let the board come to you. And if something presents itself, then you say, all right, Let's make this move. We can't pass on this player. Uh, that allows you to kind of make that move. Everything is certainly on the board, uh, and you don't rule out a move up. You don't rule out a move back uh, at all in this draft. I think it's that's 
the fun part about it, and especially following uh, a general manager like Howie Roseman and everything that he's done uh, over the course of his career. And Fran, if I could just say really fast, even though we address certain positions through free agency, it also doesn't mean we're going to skip those in the draft. And I think we've seen over the last three, four years, your depth is going to be tested and it's going to be tested at important positions. And just because you got a Hargrave, you still need interior D line depth. You still need four five, six defensive backs and corners out there. Depth is always going to be tested. So just for picking up a Hargrave or a Slay, that doesn't necessarily mean those positions will be omitted. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's the, the draft is a different kind of animal than, than free agency and trades and uh, the waiver wire and everything else. It's a, a different kind of beast for sure in terms of player acquisition, team building. But uh, guys, that'll do it. Another show here down for the journey of the draft. We only got a few weeks left uh, until the NFL draft. I know there's discussion about, you know, when is it going to be, but we're, we're going to operate as if uh, it's still going to be as is here at the end of April. But we'll see you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast. Until then, make sure you keep staying safe. Make sure you're washing your hands. You're doing everything right. Taking care of yourself. You're taking care of your family. Social distancing whenever, whenever possible. Pay attention to everything from your local officials and all that standpoint. So we will talk to you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA.